live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So very glad to have you with us. Let's get started. As I have been saying for a few weeks now, and I'd say this with no pleasure, the, the Wisconsin State Fair not going to be happening in 2020. That, it seems to me, under the circumstances, is the only decision that they could have made. Now, let me let me explain this from a number of perspectives. First of all, if you are a regular listener of this program, you know I have been somewhat critical as time has gone on about some of the decisions that government has made with regard to shutting down places, that the picking of winners and losers was COVID-19 really any more likely to spread if you allowed the small luggage store or the small jewelry store to stay open um, instead of having it closed by the government when people could still go to Costco's or Walmart's or Target or whatever. I, I don't know that I think that was the smart thing to do. And the question that seems to me we should have always been asking is not so much what's an essential business and what's a non-essential business, but rather it's been by allowing a particular business to stay open, do we substantially increase the chance that people will pick up COVID-19 at that particular business. So that's always been kind of my standard moving on. And I think as we look at the future, and we'll talk about this later in the program, I don't think there's any way the American public, Wisconsin public, southeastern Wisconsin public, would stand for another mass shutdown. So we have to be smarter about this. What is one of the things that we do to be smart? Well, it's to concentrate on what, what I call the, the super spreaders. Until you get a vaccine, and maybe even after that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later in the program, we're going to have to figure out a way to live with, with COVID-19. And I understand that there are some people who want that absolute safety, and they're not going to go out until there's a vaccine, and they're going to shelter in place and all those things, and if it takes a year or two years, that that's fine. And I, I get that. I understand it, but I don't think that's where most people are. So what can we do to, again, limit the mass spread of this and a lot of people suddenly getting this disease and then perhaps overwhelming the hospital system? Now, we've never done that before. The hospital system hasn't been overwhelmed. But moving forward, how, how do you do it? And I think one of the keys is um, looking at how we restrict the mass gatherings. The thing that concerns me is the super spreader and the super spreader's opportunity to interact with lots and lots of people. For example, if you've got that small luggage store in Franklin that, that, that's open, there's, there's not going to be more than a few people that go into that store on any given day. So even if you have somebody that's got symptoms or happens to be a carrier and doesn't know it, they go in there, they're going to interact, but they're only going to interact with a couple people. And yeah, I understand that the person that then gets infected might interact with a couple more. But it's not like you're going to have an exponentially large number of people who get this. 
The problem, though, is with the mass gatherings. Let's say you have an event where there's 50 or 100,000 people, and you have somebody, let's think about a state fair situation. You have somebody who, again, is a carrier, um, and they're on the grounds of the state fair. And instead of just interacting with a couple people here and a couple people there, they have the ability to interact with thousands of people. It's just that's where I think moving forward, the large gatherings, that's where I think there's going to be a lot of attention put. In addition to it, let's just look at the realities that the state fair was facing. First of all, they, they count on attendance. Uh, they, they, they need large amounts of attendance to make it financially viable. You have vendors, for example, who are charged rent. The, the vendors, and this is just it, the vendors are saying, okay, well, we it's worth paying what we're going to pay because we know that there's going to be a million people coming through the grounds of the state fair. We're going to have access to sell our stuff to a million or a million one or a million two people. Well, if, if you get to a situation where you say we've got to greatly restrict the number of people who can come onto the grounds, all right, first of all, that your your exposure, the vendors, it's not going to be the state fair experience. They're not going to have the opportunity to sell their stuff for this large number of people. So from the vendor's stand, standpoint, the question becomes, is, is it worth it? From the state fair standpoint, and I know they wanted to put on the fair, but the truth of the matter is, even even if they hadn't made the decision to limit attendance, and you know that they would have had to have done that, there's just a lot of people who flat out might be comfortable going back to restaurants or sitting in an outdoor patio and eating or going into that luggage store or the small jewelry store I'm talking about who have no concerns and no problems with that, but they're not in a hurry to run back and be in a large group setting where you're interacting with hundreds of people, thousands of people, you know, and so I, I think you put all this stuff together and you recognize that just like Summerfest had to be rescheduled, and I don't have any inside knowledge on this, but I, I will tell you, I don't see how Summerfest is going to happen in, in September on those three weekend dates. I, uh, you, you've got the same problems with the mass gatherings that you have, and on top of that, you've got the problems with a lot of the touring acts that you would normally book. They're, they're not touring. They've just taken off 2020, see in 2021. So, I mean, I, just logistically, I don't know how Summerfest pulls it off. I'm not rooting against them. I'm a huge Summerfest fan as well, and I appreciate what they were trying to do. Now that we're sitting here at the end of May, almost June, I, I don't see how it's going to happen. But, you know, maybe they'll figure out a way to, to surprise me and do it in, in, in the next 90 days. But you look at all these factors, and you understand State Fair, I think, had the same considerations that the ethnic festivals had and all the people who put on the Fourth of July festivals and all these different things. And it really was, it was an inevitable decision. And it is an unfortunate decision, but I think under the circumstances, it's the right decision. Can you imagine the midway? I mean, just, just, just think. I mean, my recollections of the state fair are just the, the exhibit halls, which are just packed. Can you imagine, you know, that situation ten weeks from now? I mean, it, it just, I, I can't see it. Can you imagine the, the midway? Imagine all the people that are there and the kids getting on and off the rides and all those things. I mean, you, you can't get your hair cut nowadays 
without essentially you know having the the person who's going to cut your hair do a complete cleaning and, and wipe down of the 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 barber shop before you can come in you know after the last customer leaves how do you work something like that when you get the midway and people jumping on rides and getting off the rides and touching the same squirt guns that you're shooting to try to inflate the balloons and all it, it just unfortunately and it is unfortunate it, it's too daunting but moving forward it's the large gatherings I, I think that we do have to continue to pay attention to, which is one of the reasons why sporting events that are talking about coming back, it, they're, they're almost all talking about playing them without fans, which creates a whole other issue. But it's unfortunate for the state fair, but I think it is inevitable. It's the right decision. And if nothing else, I think maybe it makes us all the more anxious for 2021 when Hopefully, we're at a position where we have a new sense of normal. We're able to get back. We're able to be around other people without being afraid that we might catch the virus. All right, when we come back, speaking of catching the virus, I want to share an email I received from a woman who had an incident in a store. I want to share it. Get your reaction. Stick around. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. One final thought. I have a texter who says, well, Jeff, you're talking about mass spreaders. Are you saying no Packer fans in the stands for game for games then? Good way to spread the virus right? Or are the Packers exempt from your mass spreaders because they are the Packers? Uh, let me answer that directly. Matter of fact, I ran into somebody over the weekend who works for the, the Packers. They haven't made any sort of decisions, but that's exactly what we were talking about. And I'll just say this. I, 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 I hope I'm wrong, but I don't think there is any way come September – that you're going to have an NFL stadium with 75,000 people in it. I, I just I don't see it, and I don't think that the Packers think that either. I'm, I don't know. I mean, I think the best-case scenario is if they can figure out, or the NFL teams can figure out some way to, like Disney World is doing. Disney World is reopening with 25% capacity. If the NFL teams can figure out a way to, to open with, again, a, a fraction of, of the people so they can spread them out. I, I think that they're going to do it. But then, of course, the issue becomes, can you make money doing that? Is it, is it worth it to go through all that trouble? And, and how, do you, how do you enforce it? How do you police it? How do you let 25,000 people in um, when you've got 75,000 people that have tickets? Those are all these logistical matters. But, but yeah, I don't think there's any way that you're going to see NFL stadiums in September, Lambeau Field included, you know, full with 70-some thousand fans. And I'll tell you something else, and I, I know people say this flippantly, well, if a Packers fan that's got tickets doesn't want to go, I'll take their tickets. I think that there's a chunk, a good chunk of Packers fans who, even though they love the Packers, aren't going to be in a hurry to cram into bleachers in September um, until until we have therapeutics and, and we have vaccines. And I just think that's, that is the reality. So, no, the, the Packers are not exempt from my theory on the super spreaders and the mass spreaders. Again, I, I will be shocked, not shocked if the games are played. My guess is the games will be played. But if you think they're going to be played in, in front of full stadiums, well, okay, maybe you're right, but I certainly wouldn't take that side in a bet. All right. Here's the email I received yesterday. I want to share a portion of it with you. Um, Jeff, I was grocery shopping at my store in my, she lives in an area here in southeastern Wisconsin. I wanted to share this with you, and I was wondering what you thought. First off, I am a petite, 50-ish-year-old, 5-foot-2-inch woman. I was at the grocery store without a mask. 
Let me clarify this. The store I was at does not require them. If they did, I would have put one on. I believe that each business should decide what is right for them when it comes to masks. I also have done much reading on cloth masks and the fight against virus. I have a family member who works in a lab at a hospital, works with viruses, so I feel I'm pretty knowledgeable on masks and virus viruses. Once again, if a business asked me to wear one, I would, since I don't want to see them have to shut down. So anyhow, I'm at the store, and a man in his mid-50s, wearing an N95 mask, comes up to me and says, you forgot to wear your mask. I said what I usually say when a person solicits me at the store. I said, no, thank you, and kept walking. He followed me and began saying things like, you don't care that you're killing people. What makes you think that you are okay? You are killing people. I kept walking and trying to be polite and firm while beginning to shake over this confrontation. I'm saying things like, have a good day, goodbye, no, thank you, um, all as I'm trying to tell him, you know, turn off the news and have a good day as I keep walking. Then he says, oh, if you want me to turn off the news, you must be a Trump supporter. Blank you, although he doesn't say blank you to her. At this time, I'm walking and looking at the shelves while shopping. While he follows me, he's now calling me a blanking Trump supporter who's killing people. All right. I tell him he's the perfect example of intolerance, and I try to find an employee to get a security guard or a manager. The employee I found was super nice and apologetic. Her and another employee told me they don't have security, but they will get the manager. They found him, saw that he's approaching others without masks, and confront him. Um, I'm at the checkout at this time, and I'm trying to leave the store. The staff apologizes. They were super nice employees. So anyways, that's my story. It makes me sad, and yes, a little bit of scared. Um, so she's like, I, look, I, I, I understand that, that people feel strongly about this, but the store did not require me to wear a mask. I would have if they had had it, but they didn't. I wasn't wearing the mask. I'm not, I'm not, I don't necessarily, apparently the implication is, I don't believe it necessarily makes that much of a, of a difference, but I wasn't required to wear one in the store, and this guy is following me around, getting in my face. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. This is, this is I think, one of the examples of some of the intolerance that, that is out there. Now, obviously, I think a store has a right. Right now, we, we have no requirement that people wear masks in public here. And we have no requirement that people wear masks in stores. Stores are allowed to say, we want you to wear facial coverings. But there's no requirement. There's no law. There's no mandate that you do it. Some people think it's an overreaction. Other people think it just makes sense. Okay, reasonable people can disagree. Personally, I don't see that there's any harm in it, but I'm not convinced. I mean, the CDC at the beginning of all this said that wearing a mask really doesn't make any difference. So, you know, you, you can decide what's changed over the course of the last couple of months. But in any event, this woman is in the grocery and she's aggressively confronted by somebody about the fact that she's not wearing a mask. Should she have given in? Should she have said, you're right, sir, I'm going to put on this mask? Do people have a right to confront people over this particular issue? And if you see somebody who's not wearing a mask in a place that they're not required to wear the mask, do you think you have a right to come up to them and tell them, put on the mask? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Um, all right, we're telling a story about the lady who was confronted because she wasn't wearing a mask. Jeff, I think it goes more than just a mask. In the last week, I've had two instances where somebody has yelled at me for walking past him in a grocery store. In both cases, I was more than six feet away, especially when you're pushing a shopping cart, which takes up more than four feet anyways. Um, Jeff, people don't have a right to confront people about not wearing a mask. She should call the police. Jeff, he has no right to say anything. Just mind your own business and avoid her. Yeah, I, I think that that's, see, I think that's what the, the answer is. The man is totally wrong to confront her and follow her. Also, wearing an N95 mask in public is totally unnecessary and not um, recommended. All right, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, do you have the virus? Do I have a virus? Does the lady in the store have the virus? We don't know. Wear the mask in public and be safe. Well, okay. Again, if the store wants to require people to wear masks because they think that that's going to make a material difference, they have every right to do it. If you want to wear a mask, I respect the right to do it. I, I wear a mask sometimes. I, I don't wear masks other. I'll be honest with you. It just kind of depends on where I'm going and what the nature of the place is and how long I'm going to be in there. And, and yeah, I mean, I'm not anti-mask necessarily. At the same time, again, I think it's this kind of like balancing thing that's there. So I carry a mask with me all the time, and the stores certainly have a right to do that. Candidly, I'm less concerned about people in masks, and I'm more concerned about just keeping your space. If you're able to maintain distance from people, I, I think that's going to go a, a long way towards dealing with the problem. But again, that's that's just me. If I was working at a meat plant, maybe I'd have a different perspective. Jeff, I had a similar story. I was at the post office at 7.30 a.m. to check on my post office box. The only people there were me and this guy. The guy was outside looking at me and said, are you above a mask? It's um, people like you, I said, that, that are causing all this problem. I didn't respond. I, I got and drove away. Jeff, there's intolerance on both sides. Those who regularly voluntarily wear masks consider them essential for overall good public health and feel compelled to force their beliefs and behavior on those who don't wear them. Conversely, those who don't wear them, except when mandated, often avoiding places that mandate them, think it's more importantly a matter of personal choice and liberty and freedom. Situation is totally predictable. No hope for compromise or tolerance. Got another email from somebody who says, I got the opposite story. Um, I was wearing a mask, and there were people out there that were hassling me for wearing a mask, which I, I think is silly as well. There's stories of the, these different businesses across the country who are putting up signs saying no masks allowed. Okay, well, what, what's that? What, what's that all about? If somebody believes that wearing that mask all the time makes them substantially safer, they, they should certainly be able to do that. I, I guess uh, it's just I think we need to figure out a way to recognize that, all right, if a business, for example, isn't requiring masks and you believe that that poses a significant threat to your health, well, then, then you should be shopping somewhere else or calling on the business to put in the mask. You know, similarly, if the business requires masks, put on the darn mask, don't worry about it, and stay away from other people, maintain that distance, and we get through this. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. What a difference a year makes. This time last year, one of the topics we were discussing was the, the fact that you had these, these motorized scooters 
you know, the bird scooters, the lime scooters that were starting to appear in Milwaukee and in other cities across the country. You know how it works. They, they, they drop them off on the streets, and you'd have an app, and you'd find out where one was, and you'd go and you'd grab it, and you'd make arrangements with your credit card via the app, and then you'd use the scooter for a while, then you'd drop it off. And there are all sorts of questions about, you know, is this safe? Is it good? Could it succeed, etc. Well, you're not hearing a lot of conversation about the, the scooters this year. Now, around Milwaukee, the weather is just finally starting to get nice but you know there's been other places where the weather's nice all year round and one of the things that they're seeing is that the usage of the the scooters has really taken a huge hit in the ongoing pandemic looking at a story um week to week comparison in april for instance says that um the the app usage for bird and lime last year the total app usage was 33 million users in a given week this year, it was down to 12 million. So just a huge drop off in part, I think, clearly due to coronavirus. But here's the other interesting thing. There's just been a lawsuit that was filed in California, but it's against these companies. And what it says is for a lot of the injuries that people sustained, brake failure, sudden accelerations, faulty throttle buttons, um, problems with wheels, all these things that cause people to be thrown off the scooters or have to jump off to avoid cars when the brakes failed, etc. Apparently, the theory is that what had happened is the, these, these companies that made the scooters faced spare parts shortages that they weren't able to get the parts they needed to properly repair these scooters when they would break down. And the lawsuit at least alleges that they were forced to scavenge for old parts, including brakes and wheels and throttles from other broken scooters to make the repairs. So the, the argument is because they, they couldn't get their decent spare parts, what they would do is they try to you know work out bush fixes and stuff for the problems in order to keep the bikes on the road. And a lot of times that just made things worse. Don't know how that's going to all turn out, but... Um, if, if you're a big fan of the scooter or Lime business model, it's taken a hit right now, and there's this huge lawsuit out there that's not going to help it. All right. We have talked from time to time about the, the light at the end of the tunnel, which for coronavirus is, first of all, a therapeutic, something that they can give to people which will help minimize the symptoms and help get them over the virus sooner. You know, for, for the seasonal flu, there's they, they can give you a prescription for what's the stuff called? It's Tamiflu. And, and, yeah, you don't feel great for a little while, but it helps reduce the symptoms and get you done. If you take it in timely fashion, you are you get better faster for most people. So you've got that dynamic that's going on. And then, of course, the ultimate solution is a vaccine, which would make you immune to, to this. Now, the problem, and we've talked about this on multiple occasions before, is that there are people who are hesitant to get vaccines. You know, we, we see that with the measles and the mumps and, and all that. They won't, they won't vaccinate their kids because they've got concerns about that. So there's always been the issue, and I've been raising this, because if we see the vaccine is the way to get out of COVID-19, what, what, what happens if people don't take it? And here's an interesting poll just done. This is done by the Associated Press. Here's what they say. They, they do this massive poll, and they ask people, all right, when there is a vaccine for COVID-19, will you take it? And here's the interesting thing, or at least I find these to be interesting, but maybe not surprising numbers. What they say is only half of Americans, 
only about 50% say that they would get a COVID-19 vaccine. Now, a 20% flat out say there's no way they would do it. Another 30% say we don't think so, but we're not positive about this. But as it stands right now, you have about 50% of the people saying even once we develop a vaccine, we're either not going to take it or we're unlikely to take it. I want to try a little experiment. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you would have been one of those people that would have answered that poll in that way, in other words, you're one of the people who either flat out isn't going to get the vaccine or thinks they're unlikely to get the vaccine. Why? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If once we develop the vaccine, whether it's at the end of this year or next year or whenever, if you think that you probably would not get it or you know absolutely for sure you wouldn't get that vaccine, my question is why? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Newest poll out by the Associated Press. Uh, about 50% of the people say that even if there is a vaccine for COVID-19, they're either definitely not going to get it or they're unlikely to get it. That's one out of every two. If you're in one of those categories, I'm legitimately curious, you know, what what is your thinking as to why you don't choose to get it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Uh, before we go to the phones, let's go to some of the texts here. Jeff, I would eventually get it, but I would let people like my mom, who are at higher risk, get it first. Well, I appreciate that, but I guess... I think, you know, this poll question isn't saying that there's a short, assuming a shortage. They're just saying, hey, let's let's say that you have the chance to go down to the local clinic, go see your doctor, and just like you can get the flu shot or just like you can get the shingles vaccine or whatever, you know, would you take it or would you not? Jeff, since the companies are rushing it, I would get a vaccine one month after the first wave of people get it just to see what happens. Um, Jeff, I wouldn't get the vaccine because, like the flu vaccine, it isn't guaranteed to work. Another text, Jeff, I don't trust big pharma um, and what's in the vaccine. Additionally, viruses like this mutate, so it's not likely to be very effective in prevention. Okay, I guess which raises the question of, you know, what is... Uh, look, uh, the, the flu vaccine, you know, you get you get the flu shot every year, and I understand this isn't the flu, but you get the flu shot every year, and some years it works better than others, but is that a justification for not getting it because some years it would be better? Jeff, of course I would get the vaccine. Same rationale as the mask and social distancing. I want the country safe by protecting my health and the health of others. Jeff, I'd say I'm unlikely. My past experience with vaccines has been negative. As the only years I got the flu vaccine, I actually got the flu. It doesn't help that this would be extremely new. In my opinion, a healthy lifestyle is a much better defense. 855-616-1620. That's the acronym mortgage talk and text line all right 50 percent say they wouldn't get a coronavirus vaccine don in milwaukee don you're on wtmj good afternoon hi i would not get the vaccine for several months at least because trump's involved in it he's going to warp speed it so they're probably going to be cutting some corners trying to get something really quick 
that maybe not be tested properly enough. So maybe six months down the road, if uh, it looks safe, then I probably would. Right. So you're not an anti-vaccine guy, and you're not anti-getting no. this vaccine. It's just that you don't no. want to be you don't want to be in the first wave of people getting it. I don't just I just don't trust what uh, the Trump administration is going to do trying to get this out there fast. Okay. Uh, thanks for the election. No, th- thanks for call. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, I, I don't know that it's, I, I mean, I guess you, you can view this in a political prism if you want. I, I don't know that that's what a lot of people are thinking, but actually the, the story that I'm looking at, that's what a number of people said w- with the polls. It was that um, that, that a, a lot of people, and it's the ones who say, well, I, I'm not likely to get it, but mostly they're not likely to get it in that first wave because they their their concern would be, Hey, um, you know, I, well, for example, I'll quote one of the people, this lady, she says, I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but to get a COVID-19 vaccine within a year or two, that causes me to fear that it won't be widely tested as to the side effects. So the idea being, you know, there might be people that end up waiting on the sidelines to make sure that that the vaccine is going to work. Now, of course, that that's all well and good, but the more people are in that situation, the, the more you know, the, the longer you're going to have to deal with, you know, COVID-19 that's out there. Jeff, I wouldn't consider it until antibody testing is widespread. I was sick prior to the outbreak, as were most of my children's school. Until I know, presumably I know that I'm not immune, I won't consider it. I'm pro-vaccines, but I don't trust the testing will be sufficient unless we are talking several years from now, which is, I think, that that's the consideration and that's the concern that, that's out there. I, I, I mean, I wrestle with this, too. I guess I've never had an allergic reaction to a vaccine. That doesn't mean that you, you can't get one. Uh, I, I've always gone to, I've always trusted my various doctors, and I've said, okay, you, you know, t- tell me, should I get the flu shot? And the answer is always yes, you should get the flu shot. You know, recently it's been, okay, well, I think you should get the shingles vaccine. And, you know, it's a two-pronged thing. I'm due for the, the second one. And it's just like, you know, you, you don't want to get the shingles. And, yes, there's always this chance that you could have some adverse reaction, but you've never had an adverse reaction to anything else, and you don't want to get the shingles, so you should get the shot. And I've ended up getting the shot bottom line of all this is it's an individual decision that the people are going to make and it, it is why i think for people who think that the vaccine is going to be the be-all end-all that, that solves coronavirus I, I don't think that's going to be true I, I think you're going to need a couple things you're going to need the vaccine you're going to need people then to be convinced that the vaccine is safe and on top of that what you're going to also need is you're probably going to need also that that therapeutic so that, and by that I mean, again, the thing like Tamiflu that you can take and it can minimize the symptoms, reduce perhaps the need for hospitalization, do that as well. You put those two things together, you couple them with, again, what I think is going to be the new normal moving forward, which is, which is people being smarter about hygiene and washing their hands and things like that and, and, and using like the, the disinfectant wipes after you touch surfaces and stuff like that. I, I think once you see that, that's where you start to see us get over the hump with not only this particular disease, but with others as well. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Thanks for listening. We'll be back with more in just a moment. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. We discussed this yesterday. I think it is quite likely, amazing as this sounds, that for professional sports, you are going to see hockey back. You're going to see basketball back this summer. 
And it's quite likely, I believe, and I hope I'm wrong. Don't get me wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But I think you might see no Major League Baseball this summer. And I think the players are going to be making a huge mistake. Here, here is the, the long and short of, of what's going on. Back in March, when coronavirus first hit, the Major League Baseball owners, they, they closed down spring training. They ended up sending everybody home. The initial deal that was struck is, hey, if we're able and when we're able to resume the season, what we'll do is we'll pay off the contracts, we'll, we'll pay you on a prorated basis. So if you're entitled to $2 million for a season and we only play half a season, 81 games, you'll get a million bucks. Okay, that, that was what the deal was at the beginning. Now, that assumed that the games would be played as normal. In other words, that you'd have fans in the stands, that you'd have you know, the concessions, you'd have the parking, all of that, because that was based on the revenue projections. Now it is apparent that if and when they're able to start baseball again, it's going to be in empty stadiums or largely empty stadiums. So, And, and Mark Atanasio, the Brewers owner, was real upfront about this, and he said, look, you know, we, you know, that's... You know, if we play half the games and you take away like ticket revenue and all that, that's that's forty percent less revenue for us. You know, so we're we're losing a, a ton of money. First of all, it's only half the games so that cuts it by fifty percent. Then you 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 know take away the ticket revenue and the concession revenue and the parking revenue and all that. That lowers it by an, another forty percent. We can't afford to pay prorated salaries. All right. And so they proposed this sliding scale sort of thing where players would still make a ton of money. But essentially, just like lots of businesses go and they say, okay, the highest paid employees are going to have to take a 20% pay cut, the lowest paid employees are going to have to take a 10% pay cut, etc. Major League Baseball proposed something like that. If you were due to make a million dollars, well, okay, you're going to get. 480 million 480,000 if you were due to make 34 million for a whole season well you might only i say only get about 8 million well okay at least the higher paid players and a lot of the other ones are starting to complain the agents are behind this too the agents are saying oh we can't agree to any of this and it appears that there is a huge financial impediment and the doomsday clock is ticking because the bottom line is if there's not a breakthrough if they can't figure out some way to get this done and get it agreed to, we're almost at June 1st. And if you're looking at a start 30 days from now, you've got to have a couple weeks of spring training. It's got to happen. And I will tell you, the more stories I read, the more it becomes apparent to me that they're not even close, that Major League Baseball players think it's an insult in the world of COVID-19 to expect them to play half a season in front of empty stands and for maybe only a quarter of the money they were entitled to. How dare you ask me to play for $7 million? Okay, well, all right. How dare you ask me to play for $1 million instead of $2.5 million? Now, the, the players seem to think that, okay, that the general public is going to be sympathetic to this particular position. I, I, I'm not inclined to believe that. Because, I mean, if I want to be sympathetic to people, it's going to be the folks that have been, you know, driving the deliveries of food to the grocery stores for their same salary over the course of the last several months. It's going to be the people who are working at checkout, checkers at, a, at the essential businesses. It's going to be the people who have been laid off or furloughed or have perhaps permanently lost their jobs. It's going to be the businesses that are permanently closed. I, I don't know that there's going to be a lot of sympathy for 
people who play a game and are whining that, gee, instead of X million, I'm only getting X minus whatever million dollars. I want to see baseball come back. I think it's a great distraction for the things that are going on. I think it's an important step for normalcy. But, you know, time is running out. And, you know, I don't know what the future of baseball is going to be if you have the players who decide, you know, we're not going to come back and play for millions instead of tens of millions. You had problems with other labor strikes or labor stoppages or work stoppages in baseball over the years that this could be another one that severely hurts the game, especially given the fact that, you know, the NFL is going to be kicking off in September. You're going to have the NBA back. You're going to have the NHL back. If baseball wants to sit out a year... Who knows what the problem can be? Hope they can work this out. It's just the more and more I see about what's going on, the less optimistic I am. All right, back with more in just a couple minutes. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. In the 12 o'clock hour of yesterday's program, we devoted a big chunk of it to discussing the, the, I'm going to say the murder, of George Floyd. He was the 40-something-year-old man who was handcuffed by police in Minneapolis and, and who died, presumably of suffocation, after a police officer put his knee across Mr. Floyd's throat and, and left it there for five, six minutes, who knows, essentially strangling him while the man, you know, begged for air, said he couldn't breathe, et cetera, et cetera. Um, incredible outrage. And I think we, we would all agree. And I'm, I'm a guy who typically comes at stuff from the perspective, and I admit, of, of being somewhat pro-law enforcement. I, I, look, this was unacceptable. This was the behavior of what was hopefully a a rogue police officer. It is unexcusable. The guy should be fired. He should be charged, in my opinion, with a crime, as should perhaps other police officers in the area who stood by while he essentially killed this, this man who was on the ground in handcuffs, it would no longer pose the threat. It was completely and totally unacceptable. It was a crime. And one of the things that's so offensive about this, not is just the loss of life, but this, of course, feeds into the, the problems that we have in so many urban areas where you have residents who don't trust the police and who view the police as an occupying force. And every time you have a situation like this, every time you have a bad rogue cop who behaves in this fashion, well, it just fuels the fire of people who believe that all cops are like this. Completely unacceptable and appalling. All right, which brings us to what happened in Minneapolis yesterday. Now, we, we've had a couple reports on the news. I, I, have, I have an account from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. Let me read you a couple paragraphs of, of how they write the, the story of what is going on. The headline is, Looting and Flames Erupt in Minneapolis Amid Growing Protests Over George Floyd's Death. Looters hit the Lake Street Target store and a nearby liquor store, and an AutoZone store was set ablaze. Okay, here's the story. Anger over the death of George Floyd under a police officer's knee spilled into the streets of Minneapolis on Wednesday night, intensifying well beyond Tuesday night's protesting. There was a shooting death, widespread looting, and a fire. One person was fatally shot in the area where the protest was taking place late Wednesday, possibly by a pawn shop owner who said the person was looting his business. Um, da, 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 da. For much of the night, the police radio squawked with call after call as looting 
started first at the Target store across the street from the precinct, that would be the police precinct, before spreading to other areas in the city. Firefighters raced from one blaze to the next, often with police in tow for crowd control. After someone started a fire at an AutoZone store at Minnehaha and Lake, firefighters worked to douse the flames, knocking down the majority of them. But within a matter of hours, the store was ablaze again, as was a half-built affordable housing development that caught fire, sending flames more than 100 feet into the air. Vandals broke into the Chicago Lake Liquor Store and also shattered a few windows at the Midtown Market down the block. They also targeted businesses along West Broadway Avenue, north of Minneapolis's main commercial drag, and in the Uptown area. Several pharmacies were reportedly burglarized, with suspects fleeing with handfuls, handfuls of prescription pill bottles. A Target and Cub Foods anchoring the corner of Lake Street and Hiawatha Avenue were looted, along with other small businesses, including Minnehaha Lake Wine and Spirits. Flames and smoke shot into the air when a nearby AutoZone auto parts store was set ablaze. As some protesters tried to put out the fire, others danced gleefully in front of it, snapping selfies. Others danced gleefully in front of it, snapping selfies. All right. Now, I I understand that there is anger in the Minneapolis community. And as a matter of fact, that, that anger is spread. There's protests, big protests in Los Angeles as well. And I understand that, that people have, in my opinion, every right to be extremely upset about what happened and to be calling for justice to be done. I, I get that. But what you had last night in Minneapolis, I don't know if it's fair to say this was protest or what you had was complete and and total anarchy. How does robbing and looting liquor stores, breaking into pharmacies and stealing prescription pills by the handful, burning down businesses, how does that constitute protest? So here's what I want to talk about with you. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, the people who were in the streets yesterday, last evening in Minneapolis, Right. Is, are those protesters or are they really opportunists, people looking to take advantage and exploit a tragic situation in order to, I don't know, go in, we're going to loot the Target store, we're going to loot the liquor store, we're going to destroy the AutoZone store. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The news report said the, the mayor had been very, very reluctant to criticize the people who were in the streets looting and committing arson and burning stuff down. To which my response would be, what do you mean you're reluctant to do that? I mean, yes, there is clearly a role for for peaceful protest. I, I get it. And it is clearly appropriate. But th- this was this protest last night, again, or were these the anarchists? Were these the opportunists who were seizing on the unfortunate thing that happened on Monday as the excuse to go rob a liquor store? 855-616-1620. That is the Accunate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Drew is lining up the calls. We're back to discuss in just a moment. And, and by the way, just like, just like I said yesterday, that the behavior of the police officer, soon-to-be-convicted felon, who killed who killed Mr. Floyd by kneeling on him, just like that, 
makes it difficult for all the good, honest, hardworking cops out there to continue doing their job. I think when you have people that behave like the large groups of people behaved in Minneapolis last night, that undercuts the thing, too. That that Because people look at that and they say, okay, are, are these protesters or are these people who are just looking for excuses to burn down things and break into pharmacies and rob liquor stores and loot pawn shops and Target stores and food stores? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We pick it up there in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, there, there's no, there is no question in my mind that, that what happened on Monday in Minneapolis what was the murder of a 46-year-old African-American man at the hands of a police officer. There, the outrage is deserved. The police officer needs to be charged with a crime and fully prosecuted. What happened last night in Minneapolis, though, is not justified by what happened on Monday. If you're just tuning in, there was widespread, let's call it what it was, rioting. I read the descriptions in the paper, stores being burned, stores being looted, liquor stores being looted, grocery stores being looted, pharmacies being broken into, people running out with handfuls of prescription pills. One guy was shot by a pawn shop owner. The story is, guy was in the pawn shop trying to loot that. The guy, shot, the pawn shop owner shot him. Okay. All right, is this protest, or are the people that are out there doing the burning, doing the looting, are, are they nothing more than opportunists, than thugs themselves, who are trying to exploit this horrible tragedy for their own benefit? Let's start with Vincent on the northwest side. Hi, Vincent. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, these individuals last night did a disservice to uh, Mr. Forrest's tragic death last night. These robbers. These looters out there, they give a, they gave they, they don't care anything ab- about this man and, and, and what his family is going through right now, and they showed it last night. There's a proper rate, way to protest this situation, and, and and they have they have examples from individuals like Dr. King from the '60s. My father uh, 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 protested uh, uh, the fact of open housing, and and, and I and, and I was along with him on, on certain occasions as a child. And it's a proper way to protest these situations, and and, and for any, anyone who makes an excuse that this is this is some kind of because of the conditions that are in the black community, that you know it, it's a, it, they're doing a disservice to people that live in there. That people want to do the right thing in the, in, in the black community. This was horrible last night. It was nothing. Right, and, but, and it, it was nothing but. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, and, and, it, and it undercuts the message. I, I think, I, look, white, black, brown, green, blue, everybody, anybody of conscience should be outraged at what happened to what happened to that man on, on Monday evening at the hands of the police. We, we should all be outraged, and I think most people are. Then the problem is you look at all these pictures from last night where you see people in the community who are, are dancing in front of buildings that have been set on fire and running out of liquor stores and pharmacies, and, it, and it, to your point, it undercuts the message because people now look at it and say, Okay, well, yeah, we, we understand why people are angry over this police officer, but look at what these people are doing in this community. And, and then you get that equal outrage. It's, it's not fair to the victim. It's not fair to Mr. Floyd, like you say, and his family. And his family. And the fact is, I guarantee you, if you ask them, ask them the man that, that, that was tragically killed on, on, on the streets of Minneapolis, I guarantee you most of them wouldn't even know his name. 
they're just out there being opportunists. They're out there. They're robbers. They should be arrested and put in. And, 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 and because the fact is, they just undercut this man's tragic death, and, and I think it was ridiculous. I agree, Vincent. Thanks a lot for the call. I mean, I, I think that's. I mean, I, I I just agree with you, and I I, I mean, I, I think. Look, there, there, are, there are people who have legitimate outrage about what happened, and I think the calls for justice are clearly appropriate. And I don't know what percentage of people were out there starting to engage in peaceful protest, but then when you see the pictures of people just dancing after they, they've burned down a, a building or running into liquor stores, like I say, and trying to run away with as much booze as they have, that, that's not people who care about what's going on in the community. That's people who say, hey, I've got this is the opportunity, this is my excuse to go out and and be an anarchist and riot and and get a bunch of free liquor and grab prescription pills and and steal from other people and just destroy stuff. Lisa in Mequon. Hi, Lisa. You're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. Uh, first of all, I want to thank you for using the term murder um, with regard to uh, uh, Floyd. Right. Death. Right. Um, and and that's accurate. The other thing, and I may get emotional talking about this because I'm angry, and I'm angry with you, Jeff, um, just because I have the opportunity to speak to you, that you talk about peaceful protest and how the whole um, idea has been thrown to the wind with these violent protests. But when Colin Kaepernick took a knee, I guarantee you, you were against it. And that was the most peaceful protest I have ever seen about police brutality. Silence, the sanctity of taking a knee, and silence, and nothing more. And, oh, my God, you were all up in arms about that. So, wait a minute, let me stop you. So you you think... No, I, I want people to. I want people to engage. Now, the, the situation with Kaepernick was. I thought that was the inappropriate time when he was on the job. If he wanted to protest, he had every right to do it, but not on the job. I, you're really seriously going to equate that with burning and looting that went on yesterday? You, really, you see I'm those as equivalents? Polarly opposite. There is no equation. I'm talking about two polarly opposite, different forms of protest. Yeah. One, I am well, not. I, I I do not support. Obviously, well, it sure sounds like that. And there is. It sure sounds like you support it. And a community, and nothing is being done. And you. Have so a let's burn down. Let's burn. Let's burn. Let's burn. I don't understand let's, what. Why let's is that burn a down. Well, let's let's burn down let's burn down buildings. Let's loot. Let's break into stuff. And you don't seem to have an you issue with this at all. You didn't listen well, when somebody was trying to peacefully so in your opinion, by taking a well, knee. Well, it's not a question you of not a, listening. Uh, you found a it's, caveat of him being at well, work. Oh, yeah, why is exactly. that a problem, Jeff? Okay, but but no, you're finding again. Thanks for the call, Lisa. I just I don't understand this mindset of this moral equivalent that you're drawing. Yes. Colin Kaepernick, I thought the taking the knee at, the taking the knee for the protest while doing it at the game while he was on work, yes, I thought that was exploitive, and I thought the NFL had every right to shut him down for the thing at work. If he wanted to protest on his own time, that, that's great. To try to equate the Colin Kaepernick experience to what happened in Minneapolis last night to me shows this incredible, I, I, I to even try to equate that. I don't even know the words to express that. Yes, 
you can engage in peaceful protest. That, that's fine. Now, there's a time and a place for that. But regardless, it does sound to me like you're trying to justify what happened last night. Well, all right, people criticize Colin Kaepernick, so that gives us an excuse to go out and run and burn and loot things. And I would say also, that wasn't protest over what happened to George Floyd. That was people who had an opportunity, saw an opportunity to go out and let's exploit what's going on here. You have legitimate protesters, and then you have let's burn stuff down. This is my opportunity to get a handful of liquor. This is my opportunity to go in and steal prescription drugs. That was not protest and if anybody is going to try to say well people didn't listen to Colin Kaepernick and this happened again so that justifies this type of behavior that I think is scary as well all right let's take a quick break we'll be back with more of your calls in just a moment this is Jeff Wagner WTMJ stay tuned Jeff Wagner returns this is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ 855-616-1620 Mark in Kenosha Mark good afternoon Hey, thanks. I mean, Jeff. Sure. What do you think? Uh, well, I, I want to start by making sure we're on the same page here. Uh, we can both agree that there are multiple different groups that were there during all the protests and riots, and I want to cover those real quick because, firstly, you've got the groups of people that are out there protesting uh, properly, nonviolently, not doing anything wrong, not starting any fires. So we got that group there first. Which, then which were largely, and that's that what the, the, let me just stop you for just a second, which was largely yeah. what it was that first night. Tuesday you had protests and you had, by and large, extremely peaceful protests, you know, completely appropriate. Mm-hmm. Now, last night was a different story. Okay, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yep. Now, the second group is the opportunists, the, the people that are just looking for any excuse, and they took this terrible event, this tragedy, to, to use that as an excuse to go out and riot and break stuff and steal stuff and do whatever. Um, but there's a, a post circulating on social media uh, that clearly insinuates, uh, with a bit of evidence in it, that uh, undercover police officers were starting some of the fires, the arsons, in order to draw out uh, the National Guard in order to crack down on the protests. Now, you can watch the video and come to your own conclusions. Obviously, I wasn't there, so I don't have uh, direct proof of that. But uh, it, it does not quite make sense that uh, that all the stuff that was going on like that, uh, the video, you'd have to watch it, but it, it shows a lot. And uh, I, I guess I, I've just never, I mean, now I'm, I'm sitting here, I've, I've got one, two, three, I've got about a dozen different stories, including the ones from Minneapolis and New York Times and Washington Post and USA Today and all these different ones, Fox News, CBS, n- nothing I have has any suggestion or intimation that it was police officers, undercover police officers starting fires. You, you, you think you've seen something well, that might suggest that? I what I'll do is I'll have to get a link for it and I'll text a link into you shortly. But uh, that wasn't even the the primary reason for my call. Uh, we're sitting here talking about Colin Kaepernick taking a knee and how some people are equating that to the situation now. And I just want to try to wrap my head around how you can possibly dare to tell someone when they can or cannot nonviolently protest. Because obviously, we don't want violent protests, we don't want riots, but when our African-American brothers, our citizens, are being murdered 
flat out murdered and nothing is being done. But people still have the gall to go after Kaepernick, who took a knee in a nonviolent protest. Let me tell you something. If you're protesting nonviolently, there is no zero reason or excuse or anything that you have to come back at that person and because of the lack of action now protests have turned violent and it was an I, mark, inevitable mark I, i'm sorry I, 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 no see mark I, i'm sorry Th- thanks i'm sorry i just completely disagree with you on on this people have been engaging in all sorts of protests ov- over the the years and and this idea that oh well because because nobody listened and first of all i don't know that you can say nobody listened to colin kaepernick i mean you you had you have these isolated instances where you have a bad cop and, and this idea that, oh, there's this widespread and, and every police officer out there is like an occupying force. I, I, I don't buy that. There are problems. When you have problems, they need to be weeded out. The, pro- the people that are responsible need to be prosecuted to the full extent of the law. But I, I guess that this justification, oh, well, Colin Kaepernick took a knee and nobody listened. And so now this is the inevitable thing. That's not what was going on last night. You had people who saw this as an opportunity to go you know, burn stuff down and break into pharmacies and I guess that's I just think it's not right and it's not fair and it's not appropriate to try to justify what happened yesterday now I mean I don't want to really revisit the whole Colin Kaepernick thing other than to simply say he had every right to engage in protest I think at least as far as I was concerned on this program when we discussed Colin Kaepernick it was the the timing of that yes you have a right to protest but do you necessarily have a right to protest when you are on on the job? Does um, if there's something that I object to? All right, I, I have a right to protest it, but do I have a right to I don't know do something that might hurt my employer while I am on the pr- employer's premises or while I'm on the the air or on the grounds? That that's to me what the issue was with with Colin Kaepernick. But I, I think if the idea is going to be we're going to equate it and what happened last night in Minneapolis is justified by gee nobody listened to Colin Kaepernick. Well, what you're doing is I think you're looking for an excuse to try to justify behavior which has no justification. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. You know, the the, the effects of the shutdown as a result of coronavirus, we, we really don't have a, a clue right now. We, we know that there's just a, a ton of people, what, like half a million people in, in Wisconsin alone who've lost their, their jobs. By the way, it's not encouraging, but the governor's office is saying that this backlog of Wisconsin unemployment claims that they anticipate that it, it's going to take months. I mean, they, they think that they, they might not catch up with the backlog until October, until October. And again, I, I'm not here to assess blame as to you know what, why it was that that happened. But for people who, who need that, I, I don't know that the idea of being told, hey, wait another four or five months while we figure this out, I, I don't know that that's a, a good answer. So I don't think we really know what the long-term effect of, of these shutdowns is going to be. Um, but what's happened is you're now starting to see a number of businesses, as predicted, who aren't, aren't reopening. They've been closed down, and in many cases, they were perhaps, you know, fragile to begin with. And now the people, having lost a couple months and recognizing, you know, what the expense would be to reopen, they're, they're just making the decisions, okay, we're, we're just going to shut down. You've seen that with one 
restaurant, for example, after another. The story last yesterday afternoon was that Shriners Restaurant in, in Fond du Lac, which had been in business for 82 years, announced that they weren't going to be reopening after, you know, they weren't going to be reopening. And, and effectively what happened is the, the financial blow that they sustained from having to be closed for the last several months just, just put them so behind the eight ball that I think the owners just decided, all right, th- this is this is just the time. Instead of trying to figure out what it's going to take to dig ourselves out, it's, it's just best to close our doors. There was a story on, on television the other day about another restaurant, and the owners were saying, well, you know, we, we were looking in order to reopen and get back to normal, we would have to probably reach into our savings and we'd have to, you know, put in x hundred thousands of dollars into you know reopening and they just made the decision hey we're in the we're in our 50s you know we don't want to we, we love this business we love our restaurant but what we we don't want to reach in and and essentially mortgage our financial future and put our retirement on the line in the idea that we're going to try to you know keep the restaurant you know operating you you've seen more and more stories like that and i think you know we're real right now we're only at the tip of the iceberg new story out today is there's a restaurant in west Africa Alice, Johnny V's Classic Cafe, which has been in business for about 30 years, they've, they've announced that they were closing effective immediately. Um, and here is what they say on their Facebook page. It is with great sadness and a heavy heart, Johnny V's has made the difficult decision to close our doors effective today. For 28 years, we have been a family restaurant staple in West Dallas. With the effects of the COVID pandemic, we have concluded with our landlord to end our lease effective immediately um you know we're, we're looking maybe we can explore opening another place sometime and, and maybe they're going to be able to do that you know maybe, maybe they're not but this is it's kind of this rolling thing which is going as more and more businesses close and, and like i say for for some people who haven't understood this and i know there's been some folks who who just you know what what's the big deal about causing businesses to close and if a business hasn't had any revenue coming in for the last 90 days and they can't make it well that's that means it's got to be a poorly run business and, and the truth is no uh, again lots of businesses are in fact fragile and what happens is if you 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 take away income from people for for 3 months from a business, and it, it creates, a, again, a huge hardship, and then you put the owners in a position of saying, do we have to dip into savings? You know, what? How much is it going to take? And, and of course, who knows what the f- near-term future is going to look like? You've got grocery prices, for example, with restaurants that are through the, through the roof. And, you know, can we bring back our, our help? And, and what about our customer base? You know, are, are they going to come back? Have they fallen out of the habit of coming to our restaurant? It's just whether it's Shriners or whether it's Johnny V's Classic Cafe or any one of a number of these other restaurants, I think we're, we're only starting to see the beginning of the closures. And it's unfortunate, and it's really not anybody's fault. It's just the reality of, of what's what's going on and how we're going to have to figure out how to, to deal with it. What I thought we would do in recognition of this latest wave of closings is I want to just take a segment and take a walk down memory lane. There is something about, and we do this from time to time, there is something about, I I think, restaurants that that give us our own sense of home away from home. They're they're our our cheers. They're our our places we go. They're the places where we know the owners, we know the bartenders, we know the waitstaff, we know the servers. They, They, again, are our home away from home. And we think that they're places that could never, never close 
and and they do. I mean, Shriners would be one of those places, which is a, an institution in in Wisconsin. I mean, it seems to me I can remember as a kid every time you'd be driving. Up north, quote unquote, you'd stop in Fond du Lac and, and you'd eat at Shriners. I can remember the place being absolutely packed. It would be a place that you would say is, is never going to close, and yet now now it's closing. Okay, our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What is the restaurant that that you you miss? That you you know you thought it was going to be there forever, and, and suddenly it, it ended up closing and. I don't know. You haven't gotten over it. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Lots of places that I think all of us thought would be there forever. Well, suddenly something happens and they're gone. What was yours? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Back to discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner. If you're on the line, please hold on. Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Tony in Milwaukee. Tony, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Jeff, Mama Mia's on 78th and Burleigh. I've been going there since high school, 72. <laughs> and they closed a few <laughs> years ago, and I'm still, I'm still miss it. I got to go drive all the way out to like 80th and Greenfield, that other Mama Mia's. Yeah, you know, thanks. Though, thanks for the call. You know, you talk about like, restaurants that again were just such a just such a landmark thing. I remember. I mean, I grew up in Glendale, and so there was the Mamma Mia's that was on Silver Spring and Tetonia. When I was away at college, you know, some people would wake up drinking of dreaming of women. I, I used to wake up dreaming of their their garlic bread. You know that that was it. And then the the Tetonia restaurant closed, and, and you're right, the 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 one on Burleigh ended up closing, and now there's one in, in they've there used to be one in Mequon, and they've now moved that to Germantown. Eight five five six one six one six twenty but you know it, it's we, we take all these places for granted and you think that this place will never ever ever close down and then all of a sudden it does and and again unfortunately I think this is the tip of the iceberg I think you're going to see a lot of places even places that were well established who just haven't been able to make it through what's happened over the last few months let's talk to Pat in Sheboygan Pat you're on WTMJ Pat Pat, Pat, Hi, Pat. Uh, Jeff. Hi, Pat. I, uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something with your, your uh, kindred soul here. It's big boy, and I know you want that big statue sooner or later. But <laughs> uh, I miss the strawberry pie, the fish and chips, and just, mm-hmm. and and the big burger that they had. They were just the greatest. Right. Yeah, you know, it's I, you know, it's funny you should say that. I, I I'm sitting in my home office now, and I, I have two. Big boy bobbleheads, <laughs> one one on my desk and one over by by the printer. Yeah, it's just that was uh, the, Mark's big boy. Of course, it was Mark's big boy in Wisconsin, and it was other types of big boys, you know, in other parts of the country. But it was it was just it was iconic, and you had those things. and And for me, I, I know there's been a, they've recreated the big boy burger at some places, but I, I miss being able to go into those places as well. Now, thanks for the call. I, I agree. I mean, I, you know, big boy was one of that. Matter of fact, we have a number of places. Um, number of places saying, uh, you know, Big Boys is one of the places that they miss. Um, what are the places I miss? One is near the airport next to Denny's. It was called Puddle Jumpers. It was a small little diner that had the best brisket and barbecue. They had chicken wings that were covered in this sinister sauce. It was great. Another text, Jeff, I miss the old Nino Steakhouses, which were around here long before the current national chains arrived. 
Matter of fact, my wife, I think her first job was as a waitress at a Nino's Steakhouse, or one of her first jobs. Judy in West Dallas. Judy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, Hi, Judy. Well, Big Boys was one of mine, but Dutch Dairy. Me and my mom used to go shopping, and then we'd go for a hot fudge Sunday, and they ate that onion ring. <laughs> so that's a good memory yeah. for me. <laughs> well, it it, but, it is. You know, I mean, Dutchland Dairy was huge around here, just just huge around here as well for for years and years, and then all of a sudden they just kind of disappeared. Yep, yep. That's okay, it. Thanks for the thanks call. For I appreciate my it. Call. You're very welcome, and thank you for listening. Let's talk to uh, Andrew in Bayview. Andrew, you're on WTMJ. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Um, I don't remember if I'm even remembering this place correctly. I was a kid when we used to always go there on the northwest side. I think Appleton Avenue, Bavarian mm-hmm. Worst House. Sure. Very yeah, German. I remember that. Place. Yeah. yeah, it was like right. my grandpa's favorite place to go. And <laughs> we go there like once a year. And uh, we ended up, you know, he passed um, mid-90s. And the last time I went there was um, after a funeral with the whole family. So it's. Oh, okay. Right. No, it's got it's got yeah. those memories. No, thanks. No, thanks for calling. No, I remember that. You know, you you talk about, you know, you, you're talking about German restaurants. I mean, just just think it used for years and years and years in, in the city of Milwaukee. There were there there were the big three of the German restaurants. There was, of course, Mater's, which is still there. There was the John Ernst Cafe, and there was Carl Rosh's. And I I mean, I we used to go to Carl Rosh's for special occasions and things like that. And now both Rosh's and uh, John Ernst Cafe, they're they're history. And you know this, you know, you still have Mater's, but uh, especially especially Carl Rosh's. If you would have told me that that would have closed a couple of years ago, I I wouldn't have believed it. But yet, you know, things change, the dynamic changes, and and places just can't survive james in milwaukee james you're on wtmj how you doing jeff hi james yeah captains uh in mayfair captains and captains hideaway that they used to have in mayfair there back in the day yeah 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 thank, thanks to call james a lot of people are saying captain steak joint and of course that was that that was owned as i recall somebody, somebody can correct me but those as i recall were, were owned by by Marcus as, as well. You had one in Juno Village. You had one out at Northridge when there was still stuff at Northridge. You had the one at Mayfair. And I can always remember. This is why I'm probably paying for this at my at my you know old age now. But I can remember you'd go into the bar while you'd wait for your table, and they had this like cheese fondue. I, I can't even describe it. But then they had these like big crackers, these toasted things that like garlic toast that you'd eat with it. And I, I'm sure it was just an absolute heart attack waiting to happen. But it was still really, really good. Jeff in Fox Point. Hi, Jeff. You're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. I already miss Shriners because I have fond memories of stops there with my parents and sister on the way to Bucks and Brewer games. And right. I also like how they de- how they developed that little bakery section because it, it saved me on some occasions from trying to bake stuff myself for family gatherings and doing disservices. Yeah. I mean, that was just such an iconic place. I guess I was, I was, I'm not surprised. I'm never surprised when you hear that stuff's closed and things like that, because I mean, you've just seen all the the places that do, but I got to admit, I was, I, of all the different places that I thought maybe would be able to make it through this, Shriners would have been one that would have been the top of my list, but I guess not. It just, it just shows, shows how, how, how pervasive some of these problems are. Yeah, I would get so. cravings for their ch- chowder and pies, even in Oshkosh and Lomiro when I was, we were getting close to the place. 
There you go. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Vince in Elkhorn. Vince, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi. Thank you. Yeah, I wanted to mention uh, Antonino's Sicilian restaurant uh, with the cart. It was on 84th and Morgan. Uh, They now own that Samore. They now own that Samore. Yeah, that restaurant had an original Sicilian cart in there. And then Mm -hmm. also one more, please. Uh, The original Pepino's Pizza restaurant on 84th and Villard. There's also still some Pepino's, but the original one was on 84th and Villard when the bars were open till 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, no, thanks for calling. So you're right. You know, it, it's I, I have a I had a very good friend from another time in my life who just Pepino's was his very favorite, uh, very very favorite place. But we wouldn't go to that one. We would always that, that was the place he wanted to go for pizza, and we would always go to the one that was on the near south side. Um, let's talk to John in Germantown. John, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yes, sir. Uh, I'm kind of I'm kind of dating myself, but uh, there used to be a very good uh, fish fry place in between Germantown and Germantown and Menominee Falls. It used to be called Etzel's. It burned Etzel's, down a like number of years ago, and yeah, I know. But they this was a tavern uh, fish fry place, okay. and uh, they used to have fantastic fish fries. And that burnt down a while back, and the original owners they never built it back up again. And it, yeah, miss it and quite miss a bit. It. No, th- thanks for the call. You know, it, it's funny you're talking about fish fry places. We were out in Brookfield the other day, and a place when I was a kid we used to go to, it was called, I wanted to say the Halfway House, and it was Kitty Corner from Brookfield Square. It, it's now where there's like a, a hardware store and there's a, a Walgreens. It seems like it seems like all these, these, these places from my youth get torn down, and they replace them with CVS or Walgreens stores or, or banks. Um let me go through just a couple texts. We got a lot of texts on this. Uh, Jeff, a lot of people are saying Ponderosa. I, I can remember the old Ponderosas that they had around here. Mannings on 76th and Good Hope. Yes, I spent money a night there. Uh, Jeff, I miss the Chi-Chi's that used to be around. And, you know, Chi-Chi's was, was great for Americans, American Mexican food, Americanized Mex- Mexican food. Chuck sends me a note, say, Jeff, here's one you'll know and love, Pig and Whistle, which... You know, of course, was right down the street from where, you know, from, from Radio City. And if you were a, a Shorewood kid, that's where you hung out. If you were a Nicolet kid, you hung out at the Milky Way, which is now uh, the cops on Port Washington Road. All those different places. A lot of people mentioning, again, uh, the Captain's Steak Joint. All those different things. So I, I bring this up. I want to take a quick walk down memory lane because, again, we, 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 we all have these places that we remember. My dad. My dad used to love, there was a steak place downtown uh, called the Embers that was right by Juno Village there my, my, on Kilbourne. My father used to, that was his favorite go-to place. He just always used to love that for a variety of reasons. So I, I can't pass that corner without just thinking of my dad whenever I'm downtown. But we all have those different places. My advice is cherish them, enjoy them, patronize them, because you never know that day might come when they're not there. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Got a lot of stuff coming up on the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So glad to have you with us. One of the various advantages from working from home is 
it, in the studio at Radio City, it, it's we're in the middle of the building, and you've got nothing but TV monitors around you, so you don't have the opportunity to look out of a window, and you, you can look at the radar, and you can, even though we're not supposed to interpret radar, you can say, oh, it looks like it's raining or whatever. Gr- great thing here is I'm in my upstairs office. i got a big window, and, well, yeah, it's raining here. At least it's raining where I am, and it sounds like it's going to be raining off and on for the better part of today and this evening. But if you look at the forecast for this weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it looks like it is going to be absolutely beautiful. So within the parameters of, of social distancing and, and keeping safe and all that type of stuff, hope you have some plans for the weekend so you can go out and enjoy what looks to be a great weekend. I, I admit that one of the things that, that's going on over the course of the last couple months has been, I, I think everybody's going a little bit stir-crazy, and I, I think that... that Maybe it's just me, but I, I find that I, I'm not suffering fools as well as, as I do from time to time. And when I when I see this behavior, I go, my, why would somebody do this? And, and there's there's a story about that in today's Journal Sentinel that I wanted to comment on. And, and then also there's there's a good news aspect to it. Apparently, up in Grafton, they have been having a problem over the last couple weeks because apparently there is some jack wagon who has gone out and bought a large number of, like, long, like, roofing nails. And what the person is, these are, like, the the nails that are, like, an inch to an inch and a quarter long. And, And what he has been doing, primarily, like, on Saturday nights, is he's been going out, and I assume it's a he for sake of purposes. I guess it could be a she, but this this jack wagon has been going out and throwing these nails all over busy streets in Grafton. So people will drive over them, and they will have flat tires as a result of this. Now, the, the police say it's been going on for the last couple weeks. They, they've had over, you know, 10 reports of flat tires. They, they've had a couple instances of this, but primarily in the downtown area. And the, the police chief, being no dummy, is saying, well, you know, th- this is happening on Saturday nights, we, we figure that it's it, this is not just a coincidence that suddenly you know people are hitting these various nails. There's somebody that, that's doing this, and now they're checking local hardware stores to see who might be buying it, and they're checking doorbell videos, and hopefully they'll catch this person. But, but I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what type of unmitigated jack wagon at any point in time in world history, but especially now, when people are dealing with all sorts of stuff, for want of a better word, what kind of person gets their kicks out of going out and buying a bunch of roofing nails and scattering them in areas in a city, knowing with the purpose of, let's try to see how many tires we can make flat. Let's see how much we can inconvenience people. What sort of person gets their kicks from doing something like that? And again, I... Look, I, I like a good practical joke as well as the next person, but let's face it, scattering roofing nails on downtown streets with the idea of trying to flatten people's tires and cause damage, that, that is not a prank. That is vandalism. That is criminal behavior, and I hope the graphs and police catch them. Now, the interesting side note to this, and, and it's, it, it's actually it, it's the good you know, kind of balancing. Oh, by the way, I mean, as somebody who firmly believes in karma, whoever is doing this, at some point in time, and maybe it's going to be soon, maybe it's going to be somewhere later in life, but whoever is doing this is going to find out that karma can be a you-know-what. Because my experience has always been, 
<clears throat> karma comes back to get you sooner or later. To that point, um, there, there's actually the guy that runs the Midas muffler shop in Grafton. Uh, according to the Journal Sentinel, he's offering to repair any of the damaged tires for, for free. Said the job had, the shop had repaired eight tires as of May 26th, and another seven repairs were scheduled for May 27th. So th- that, that is the, that, that is the good news, that you have at least some store owner, some business owner, recognizing that, you know, this is, it, it's more than just an inconvenience. You got all these people, we're all dealing with all this stuff in our lives, the last thing you need is to catch some nail, have your tire go flat, and they're they're at least repairing them to the extent that they can be repaired. And so that's the good news, and it's a good thing that the people that run the Midas muffler store in Grafton are doing. But they shouldn't have to do it, but for the fact that you've got some some guy out there who's getting his kicks out of doing that. Who does that kind of stuff? Okay, when we come back, President Trump going after internet providers who's right who's wrong we will discuss stick around this is jeff wagner wtmj welcome back to jeff wagner on wtmj okay it's no secret that president trump is not happy even though president trump uses twitter to communicate directly with his supporters um, and he does it so he doesn't have to go through the media. President Trump, even though he uses Twitter, he is not happy with Twitter. He's not happy with Facebook. What set him off recently is he made some claims about mail-in voting, and Twitter decided to put up like a, a fact-check thing on, on him. All right, well that, so he, he got even madder about that. So what he is about to do is to sign an executive order. Now, th- this is limited because... He can start the ball rolling, but ultimately it's going to be Congress that has to do something. But he has decided that that he thinks we should crack down on the media, the social media providers like the Facebooks and the Twitters of the world. And and it's it's sort of an interesting question that I would like to discuss with you. Here's here is how it works. There is there's a provision of of law. It's there's a provision of law which essentially protects the social media platforms from being sued for for libel. So here's the way it works. If you are a broadcast company, if you are a newspaper company, for example, and you, you libel somebody, you can be sued. And if somebody does that, or let's say let's say it's a TV station, and you as the TV station, you have a commentator who comes on the air and slanders somebody. That person who, who made those statements can be sued, but also the, the, the TV station could be sued, in, in my example, because you provided the forum, you gave the, the person the opportunity to be on there. And, and just putting in a disclaimer that says, you know, we don't necessarily agree with the opinions, doesn't protect you necessarily from that, that legal liability. So the newspaper, the TV station, they are liable. If a newspaper were to you know have a guest column that that wrote something that was libelous okay the newspaper would be libel as well as the person who wrote the the column that that's the way it works when it comes to social media platforms that rule doesn't apply the the there is an exception to the law 
And it says, and I'm, I'm simplifying this, but it, it says that there is a distinction between whether you are a publisher, like a newspaper or, uh, again, a radio station, a TV station. People, they're considered to be publishers under the law, or you are a platform. And places like Twitter and um, Facebook, they have always considered been considered to be platforms. And what the law says is, you, Twitter, you, Facebook, you are not legally responsible if somebody goes on to your platform and posts all sorts of libelous things. You know, you, you, the person who posts that, they can be held liable, but you, Twitter, you, Facebook, you, social media platform, whatever, you're, you're protected. And the idea is because we want to have the Internet that, you know, encourages the free form of free flow of ideas, and you want to have, you've got the First Amendment that's there, and, and so people can post on that, and they can be held responsible for what they post, but the, the providers can't. Trump wants to change that. Now, the providers, in this case Facebook or Twitter, what they will do is they still police their websites. You know, they'll go in and they'll remove content that they find to be threatening or or vulgar or you know, for a wide variety of reasons. They'll go in and they'll remove stuff. So the president's position is, look, since you already go on and since you police things, since you do you know, exercise some control over content. And the, pro- the uh, president believes that there is a bias, that these, these various social media platforms, the Twitters of the world, the Facebooks of the world, have a liberal bias and that they are improperly editing conservative content. So his position is, since you're there editing stuff in the first place, well, you, you, you shouldn't be protected. And you should be able to be sued if somebody goes on, since you're editing some stuff, you know, you should be held responsible if you don't edit other stuff. All right, our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. The Internet is a wonderful thing. There's no question about it. It is also the wild, wild west when it comes to, I don't know, people saying and spouting crazy theories and the, the amount of vitriol, the amount of hate that you find out on the Internet a lot of times is, is just unbelievable to me. Does that mean, though, that we should try to shut it off? Is that, should we be holding Facebook and Twitter liable for what some crazy person decides to put on their Facebook page or to send out on Twitter? I mean, do we want to have that sort of restriction? 855-616-1620, that is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. That's what this is all about. The president's saying, look, I, if Twitter or Facebook, if they're going to take out some stuff, they should be held accountable for the stuff that they don't take out. It would completely and totally change the business model. Do you want Facebook and Twitter micromanaging different accounts and trying to decide, you know, is this appropriate, is that appropriate, or should we just leave well enough alone, understanding that there are flaws. 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss in just a moment. If you're on the line, please hold on. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. See, here's my problem with this. And I understand that in some respects, these social media platforms, Twitter, 
Facebook, they, they want to have it both ways. They want to say, okay, we're a platform, so we shouldn't be held responsible for what people post on our sites. You know, if the, if the person posts slanderous or libelous things, what, what should happen is you can sue that person, but we can't be responsible. We just provide the platform. And then what happens is, and then they, but they go when they edit stuff. So they, they edit some stuff, but not other stuff. So the argument is that, that the social media platforms, the Facebook, Pace, you know, Twitter, whatever, they're trying to have it both ways. I, I understand that, that fundamental thing, but I guess I, I think, I think the the internet is different than newspapers or TV stations or radio stations or, or things of the like. And I, for one, I don't want government coming in and, and telling the internet providers, telling Facebook and telling Twitter or telling any other internet provider, any other platform, that, gee, you, you can allow this to be on, but you can't allow that to be on. Because that's what the effect of this would, would be. It would be to give the FCC the right to start to monitor what they're allowing and what they're not allowing. And I guess I'm afraid that if you if you think that they're – is a bias now on, on some of these platforms where they they view conservative content in a different way than they view liberal content, and, and there's probably some evidence to suggest that that's true. But but if you were to give the government the authority to control the platforms, which would mean the government would have essentially indirectly the authority to control what it is that you would try to post, I, I don't want that. I, and I, I don't think that we... I don't think that we need to do that at this point in time, understanding that the Internet is the wild, wild west, and there's a lot of people out there who are going to post um, you know, crazy stuff that's out there. Let's see. Let's go to our text line. Jeff, Trump is lashing out because Twitter fact-checked what he said about mail-in voting. Twitter did not censor or edit his tweet. The original tweet is still on Twitter. He is conflating fact-checking with censorship. Another text. Jeff, um, absolutely not. Um, you know what? What's next on on this? Um, you know that that's the that's the thing that that's there. It's the the whole notion that you have to, I think, try to. I think that we should have the right and the freedom to be able to express our thoughts. And if we say stuff that crosses the line, we have every right to be held accountable for that. And that's regardless of whether you have a talk radio show or a newspaper column or you're somebody that's sitting in your mom's basement and you're deciding that you're going to post stuff on, on Twitter or Facebook. I mean, I, I think you know, people have to be held accountable for the things that they say if they end up crossing the line. But to take that next step and to say, do I, do I want the guy that started Facebook, Mark Zuckerberg, do I want him policing the content under threat of the FCC? You know, my, my answer would, would be no. And what's ultimately going to happen is if just, just like in the mainstream media, where for years and years there was the perception, if not the reality, that you had the mainstream media that had a liberal bias. Okay, so, so what happened? Well, you, you had Fox News that came out, and Fox News filled that void, and Fox News has filled that void extremely successfully. And now, you know, when it comes to cable news, you know, and the, the programming, you know, Fox News is dominant. The free market has taken care of that. Similarly, if you, you have Twitter or Facebook that goes too far in the other direction, it seems to me, as far as, 
you know, policing or, or taking off or deleting content, well, what's going to happen is you will find other platforms that will develop and they will, in fact, find an, an audience. I'm just real leery when we talk about giving the government more regulatory authority over stuff because it, and it doesn't matter whether it's Donald Trump that's the president or Barack Obama that's the president or Bill Clinton or George Bush. I, I just I. You know, people should be able to express themselves, and they should have the venues to do it, and they should be accountable. But I don't want to see that venues be taken away. That's just me.